Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Happy Friday. Let's talk some college running backs. Why the hell not? Had a great guest on last week, Jetpack Galileo, to help break down some of the incoming wide receivers. Now I want to do the same exact thing with these rushers. Now I get it. I talked about draft capital, how important the opportunity is. With that said, folks, we can put our scouting hats on for a little bit and at least determine which of these running backs have the potential theoretical three down ability. That's what we're always looking for in fantasy land once they become pros in the first place. So joining me on this edition of the podcast is senior content creator and college football analyst for NBC Sports Edge, the FSWA 2020 College Sports Writer of the Year. The man has been grinding college ball for more than 20 years. No joke, people. If you are a fan of college betting props, this guy is your dude. 70% plus hit rate over the last two years. That is not an exaggeration. It's a soft market. Go get him. Eric Froton at CF. F. Roton on Twitter. Eric, my friend, how are you? I'm doing well, Ian, and thank you very much for having me on. Of course, we've talked about doing this for a little while, and I'm excited to finally be here on the PFF Airwaves. For some reason, you lived in uh, Cincinnati briefly. I mean, there was a good reason behind it, but now you are back in sunshine, uh, San Diego. I am jealous, my friend. Haven't uh, been outside yet today. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a late riser sometimes, as the people know. Uh, but my God, man, you give me a little bit of a tour of the residence before we got started here. Uh, does that sunshine ever get old? Because I'm guessing the answer is no. The answer is, in fact, no. Yeah, I'm glad <laughs> you asked it, though. Uh, I live uh, you know, less than a mile from the beach in lovely Carlsbad, California. And uh, I am very blessed to be here. But I did spend 14 months in Cincinnati due to the birth of a child and needing help because, my gosh, is having a child a daunting <laughs> task. So, yes, I spent 14 months in Cincinnati. You never know. You could see me back there, too, so we can have more of our late night film watching sessions we Ooh. do like to do. Absolutely. Nothing like grinding, you know, wide receivers, quarterbacks, running backs, whatever the hell we're trying to do with these. I mean, you know, just, I have so Oh, you respect. had some amazing comps last time. I was there before <laughs> the, the scouting combine. And uh, what I think you had a, I think we had a Jeff Garcia comp for Matt Corral. Was that what you threw out? Was that I it? I think so. Let's face it, man. I was pretty drunk and maybe we were <laughs> smoking a little of this or that. Who knows? Things can get a little bit crazy in the Harditz household when we're going my, late night film. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Eric, I want to start things off here looking a little bit more bigger picture before we get into some of the nitty gritty prospects. You know, said this a little bit in the intro, but look, opportunity, at least in professional fantasy football, everything at the running back position. You know, we spent August through January happily chasing the Dearness Johnsons of the world because they're looking at 20 plus touches. But then February through July, all of a sudden it comes down to vision, you know, their feet, their feel for the whole, all these things that we can't, you know, necessarily even quantify half the time I'm not denying that these factors aren't important and everything but how do you go about evaluating a running back's fantasy upside before even knowing what team they're on because as you know you, again you've been doing college football fantasy for 20 years you understand that sometimes you know what can make a really good real life running back isn't always what we're looking for for that fantasy upside sure absolutely and I'm firmly of the I believe that great running backs while some of them are made like Reese Hall is a pretty good example of a self-made guy. He was a three-star running back coming into Iowa State. Uh, I want to look at some of these advanced testing numbers, you know, like uh, their, what percentile they're in in terms of grass. Uh, obviously, weight is important. I tend to target running backs who are at least 210, uh, simply because they're going to be able to take that pounding a little better than somebody who's under 200 pounds. I mean, it's just what the historical trends tell us are going to happen. Uh, additionally, I'm looking at these running backs, you know, I'm not just 
throwing on tape, you know, in January and being like, all right, let me find out who these guys are. I'm doing that when they're coming in as freshmen, you know? So I'm, I've been evaluating these players for the course of three years, four years, sometimes five years in some cases, such as Brian Robinson, since he had to wait his turn over there at Alabama. Um, but, you know, certainly you want to look at, you know, the, the testing metrics. Uh, I'm, I've got eyeballs on these guys a lot as well. So, you know, I'm just looking at what these traits are, how well they cut, uh, you know, speed, hitting the hole, vision, you know, the, all, all the the fairly standard metrics you're kind of going through and looking at running backs with. And uh, I, I like I tend to like running backs who are at least 210 pounds. Uh, I will say that. So it's interesting because one of my questions on here was about just players in the NFL getting smaller and smaller, I think particularly at the skill positions. I mean, the Devontae Smith weight argument last year was yeah, 172. <laughs> ludicrous, man. And it was like, you know, I'm dripping wet. He's only 173. You know, we can talk about, uh, you know, Darno Mooney before that. He was another guy in, just in the 170s coming out. I can kind of wrap my mind around that, though. I mean, this is not like 2001 anymore where quarterback sails a wide receiver over the middle and he's just getting his head taken off by a safety. I do think it's uh, not it's still football on the outside, but it's more reasonable for these lighter guys to still make a living. Running back, though, you did throw a number out there, 210 pounds. Historically, is that something that we've seen over the last 20 years and we're sticking with? Or do you think we could see running backs change a little bit here too and start going towards the, the downsides in terms of size? Because when you do look at this class, you start seeing a lot of guys like James Cook and uh, several more that are, you know, you know, really flirting with that 200-pound line. Do you just don't think those guys are heavy enough to go take that, you know, day after day, week after week beating inside the trenches at the NFL level? I think historically it's shown that that to be the case, you know, certainly. And there are some really good small backs in this class that I like. You mentioned James Cook. Uh, I like Tyler Beatty from Missouri. He's a guy who worked hard to get to that 200-pound mark even. Really, you know, a diminutive type back, but quick, incredible receiver. I think that there's value there, certainly, you know, of course. Um, but, you know, if I'm looking at what we need to do in terms of, you know, that every down, pounding it's so tough to be 200 pounds and, and have to deal with the type of size speed agility you don't you see you don't see a lot of linebackers at the nfl level really you know missing when it comes to as soon as they get their hands on a guy at 200 pounds they're just dragging them down like a lion drags down a gazelle once they get their paws on them you know what i'm saying so like just simply the the metrics involved of the size weight uh everything involved in that going between the tackles in the NFL, you see the smaller guys just get touched. They just get touched and they're gone. I, I think because of that, you, you simply have to have some size, strength, weight metrics. I want to see somebody who's, who's got at least a 65%, you know, RAS score, relative athletic score in terms of, you know, their athleticism. You have to be somewhat special, at least in some area, in order to be able to get by. And I'm not saying these little guys can't, you know, on the small side. And James Cook could certainly be, you know, a, a very valuable weapon and, and the guys we mentioned otherwise, but um, not on an everyday down basis. And that's what we're really looking for for fantasy purposes. I was looking for this quote. Okay, I... It was from Mike Lombardi, who's obviously been doing awesome stuff, uh, you know, for a long, long time, NFL, and now more. Oh, gosh, media. absolutely. And, and he, I mean, Mike Lombardi, as soon as he took over the Browns, which you like. Uh, was <laughs> Trent Richardson. Trent Richardson, you're out the door, buddy. And it, brilliant. Got a first-round pick for him. And then Absolute only lasted snap. a year. Unbelievable. You know, you yep. talk about getting dogged uh, at your job. But he uh, he's always, you know, bringing up these good old-time quotes from, like, Bill Parcells and people like that. And I think uh, it might have been, um, oh, my it's gosh. like Tarzan. 
plays like Jane. You know, a Parcells <laughs> classic. It could have been the. It could have been Al Davis with the Raiders. It was Parcells or Al Davis, but their quote was like, "There's a spot for the little guy, but it's behind the big guy. Like we gotta draft these big guys first and foremost." And I think that was reflective of what their draft strategy. So nothing wrong with being a little guy. Always a spot on the field, uh, but when we can get that improved height, weight, I think it does make sense. More positions than not. I want to talk about. And Eric, I know you focus fully on college football. You know, you're not, you know, really uh, intertwined with exactly how the rosters are looking right now. But I'll tell you, man, there are not a ton of open backfields that just look ready and primed for a three-down stud to take over. I mean, just in terms of available carries. So they're 2021 total carries at running back, subtracted by all the guys they've lost in the offseason. Only the Ravens, Rams, Giants, and Chiefs have at least 50% of those carries available. They have de facto starters, though. You know, J.K. Dobbins, Cam Akers, Saquon Barkley, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire even. We got the Texans, Eagles, Bills, Falcons, Jets. You could maybe see a rookie takeover, but every single time, man, we are having to make a little bit of a leap of faith with guys like Michael Carter, Devin Singletary, Cordero Patterson, you know, people that could hold on their job or they could get taken over. Do you have any overall feel on maybe just the chance that 2022 winds up being a little bit of a down year in terms of the rookie running backs? Because I've heard some people talk about the quarterback class for example, and saying like none of these quarterbacks would even be a top five player last year. Is there a similar argument to be made about these running backs or am I overthinking it? None of these quarterbacks are probably going to be a top five player this year. So yeah, I mean, you, you can say that absolutely. And uh, let me just say personally, I'm shocked to hear you include Cordero Patterson as somebody. The dogs love it. See? They know. <laughs> They hear my voice. They're like, oh, when's Froton coming back? Don't worry. Don't worry, guys. I'll be I'll be back soon, Romo. You know, you know you're my boy. Anyways, uh, but when it comes to the Bills, I would I, I we've seen enough of Devin Singletary. Okay. Motor, I got respect for him. You know, Lane Kiffin made him into an absolute superstar at FAU. He's fast. There's a role for him. Again, the little guy. There's a role for Devin Singletary. However, it's not a three-down role. I mean, I think it's it's pretty clear that that's the case. I think if you could get Hall or Walker, whichever one they prefer, frankly, I, I'm okay with either one, but uh, my personal RB1 is Brees Hall. I would love to see him in Buffalo. What a complete offense that would make them. It's the one thing they're really kind of missing. Um, I, I would love to see him with the Bills running possibly like the, you know, a little bit of an option, read option with Josh Allen up. Oh, you know, the, oh, the, the linebacker went and, you know, he went with the running back. Okay, good. Josh goes. Oh, it goes with Josh. Bang. You get Brees Hall on the outside and he's doing damage. Or, or Walker. I, I think if you put an impact running back in that backfield, you could see damage. And let's face it, with the AFC, it's an arms race. So many good teams there. You got to be elite. You know, you have to have a complete roster. And I think that's something that the Bills were missing down the stretch. It does seem like, you know, if there is one piece of the Bills' offense that could really just take them to the next level, adding a truly explosive running back would make a lot of sense. That That is the spot that most everyone is hoping that, you know, Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker goes to. Because, again, some of these other teams, the Texans, Eagles, Falcons, Jets, like, all due respect to Hurts and the Eagles. I'm not writing them off or anything. But these are not, you know, our Bills' Chiefs' offenses of the world. Even, like, the no. Colts and, like, with Jonathan Taylor coming in there. I mean, we don't want these dual-threat quarterbacks. We would like to have, I don't know, some semblance of offensive upside. My God, like, I don't know. I think the Bills are too smart to use a first-round pick on Brees Hall. But hopefully he slides down the second, man. I think they'd scoop him right up. And there's other guys I like that I think could be potential options for the Bills there. I A couple of guys I'm higher on than it seems like the industry consensus. I like Zamir White. 
for from uh, Georgia. Obviously, he split time with James Cook. He doesn't have you know the sexy dominator ratings that you're going to be looking at from the fantasy community. But no Georgia guys do, right? No, they don't. They really haven't. Well, in the past, they had you know the the Gurley, Isaiah Crowells, you know, and the, the uh, No Shans and and all that stuff. Of course, those guys got the bulk, but it just hasn't been that. And that's not what Todd Munkin their offensive coordinator tends to do anyways. And you saw that distribution, but Samir White, man, he tested incredibly, you know, he's up there in the 90th percentile in terms of all running backs tested since 1987. He's got quick feet. He lowers the boom. I like how he attacks uh, tacklers edges. You know what I'm saying? Like if he knows that he's not going to be able to full on, you know, avoid them, he's not afraid to lower the shoulder and go after their inside or outside, wherever he thinks he's got the edge off of a cut. And he ends up getting two, three more yards uh, falling forward all the time off of it. I just think his athletic profile, he's four years off of his second ACL. That's going to be the big thing that you hear about him is he's got, he's coming off of an, a left and a, and a right. He's throwing both of them. But the right one, the last one he did was 2018. So by the time the season rolls around, he's going to be four full years off of it. And he ran a 4 4 4. So uh, that is absolutely unbelievable. I didn't see that coming from Zamir White. I thought he'd probably be in like the low four fives. Uh, which is where Brian Robinson was, who, you know, I also think is certainly at, at 6'1 and a half, 225, ran a 4'5'3 for him. That's amazing. Dodge 61 tackles, which is underrated as well. Uh, you have some some running backs I think can be every down backs, both of those guys. And I, I like uh, Robinson's obviously out of the backfield catching ability, one cut tight back. Those guys I think could take over because they're ready-made, fully formed tight backs that are seasoned, and I think they can step in. It's interesting that you brought up uh, Zamir White, and I guess yeah, Robinson has had some better uh, receiving statistics, but Zamir White is someone that I think we see this a lot you know, at the college football level where, let's face it, running backs usually aren't using the pass game at the same level in college as they do a lot of times in the NFL, at least if they have that ability in their toolbox. We see this a lot of times, these Big Ten running backs, you know, Kenneth Walker's getting this. Um, you know, I know A.J. Dillon was in the Big Ten, but he was a question mark because, you know, you look at someone like Zamir White who played three years at Georgia, and unfortunately, you know, only had, let's see, 129 total receiving yards those three years. Are we going to hold that against him and say that he can't really catch the ball? Or is that just a matter of being on the same freaking team of James Cook? So why would they be throwing the ball to Zamir White? How do you kind of differentiate between, you know, knowing if a running back can be skilled in the pass game versus like, hey, he didn't show this. So why should we expect that to change at the NFL level? Well, with A.J. Dillon, it wasn't fair. He was coached by Steve Adazio, okay? <laughs> One of the most incompetent human beings to man the head coaching, <laughs> you know, uh, ranks of, recently, at least, of the NFL. So, you know, like A.J., it's not his fault. With Zamir, absolutely. You have a guy that, you know, I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later, James Cook, who has proven to be, be it in the slot, dangerous down the scene. Uh out wide, especially against you watch the Tennessee game, they split them out a couple times. Okay. And it seems like in their big games where they're close, Georgia always saves that one. They'll, they'll flex them out twice, you know, once or twice. And they'll always save that when they feel like they get a good one-on-one -on -one matchup down the sidelines against a uh, linebacker. They'll save it. And especially against Tennessee specifically with James Cook. Like he, he gave a little quick inside shoulder fake and he posted the guy that he was... Uh, Michigan uh, couldn't was, handle him out wide either. Michigan couldn't even electric. come close to handle him. Yeah. And they got some great... I mean, D uh, Daxon Hill, uh, we're going to be hearing his name called possibly in the first round, uh, incredible coverage safety, you know, ran in the four threes. Uh, he's great. You know, you, you, have a, you have plenty of talent on that Michigan team. 
Uh, and a great uh, defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, who is now went back to Jim Harbaugh's brother over there at Good. Uh, Baltimore. Good, Good. please, please. <laughs> he, was, he was great. I mean, he was excellent. And then, you know, he was a one and done because they had Don Brown the year before. Yeah. And uh, Brian McDonald, and I have another NFL guy they got coming in. That's Harbaugh's deal when it comes to DCs. But, um, you know, him doing that against upper echelon competition up and down, it's hard to justify throwing it to Zamir White, of course. I mean, do I think he can do it? We can't say he can until he does. Same thing with Kenneth Walker. He was at Wake Forest the year before, splitting carries with Christian Beal Smith, and he was actually the goal line back at 210 pounds. So not a big, imposing 230-pound guy, but you watch him, especially against the Michigan game, which I know you watched, oh, yeah. Mr. Ohio State. Boy, uh, he was big, he big, big Ten football. The team on his- big Ten football is always on the main TV in the Hardest household. So always of will course. be. I don't, I don't care if we got Texas, Oklahoma on. I will gladly have Indiana, Purdue on the big bitch. Mark my words. <laughs> Well, I don't know about Indiana. God, I don't know anyone who wants that <laughs> offense from last year. But I respect where you're coming from, certainly, in, with the Big Ten love. Um, but, you know, you look at, at Kenneth Walker. He was firmly, he was very similar to, to Zamir White. Christian Beal Smith's a good, solid back when it comes to the catch and passes. He's, you know, he's not huge, but he's not going to bowl anybody over. So they had a very clear delineation between the two. CBS, you do this. Kenneth Walker, you do that. When it comes to Mel Tucker, too, over there at Michigan State, he's a meat and potatoes guy. This is the Big Ten. You know, they, they're, you're going behind, you know, off left tackle, and it's coming. You know, there's not going to be a lot of nuance to it. They're bringing it. And it, against Michigan, you don't have to throw him the ball in space because he makes people miss in close quarters, which is certainly something that, you know, is going to, I feel like, will certainly translate to the next level because that's not a skill set you see from everybody. He was dodging five-star elite Michigan athletes and he was making it look easy took that put the team on his back signature performance one of the best of the year out of Kenneth Walker and I'm not afraid personally to that just it wasn't game planned in that just that just wasn't his role he was more of the goal line guy I'm not afraid of that but you can't check the box and say that he can absolutely do it because until you see somebody doing on a consistent basis especially against that the talent you'll be dealing with in the NFL you can't say that he will. So I, that's sort of like a pet peeve of mine is I don't want to ascribe a certain talent or skill that hasn't been proven or borne out at the college level to say that he will do it at the NFL level. And the other thing with Walker, and this is more specific to him uh, than maybe Zamir White or some of his other backs, but what really gives me hesitation is not only do we have the, okay, 18 career catches can he do that but then people smarter than myself at you know evaluating this like pff's you know lead draft draft expert mike renner when i go look at our big board the and great I see mike renner Absolutely. the great mike renner my bad i gotta throw that in there of course <laughs> but basically with kenneth walker mike's primary concern with it is pass protection from our pff draft guide walker has to buy in as a pass blocker to see a bell cow roll in the nfl coaches at the next level won't let him see the field on passing downs with what he put on tape as a pass blocker in 2021 eric for me, Brees Hall versus Kenneth Walker, it's as easy as Brees Hall. We know he can catch the ball. We know he can play on three downs. I don't know if Kenneth Walker can do that. I hear you. That Michigan game, the film was borderline erotic. Fantastic. I, my Kenneth Walker comp is Beanie Wells on 1.5 speed. I'm for the guy. He's he's electric with the ball in his hands. I get all that, but I think that also applies to Brees Hall, and he can catch the ball. Are you lining up as things stand right now, Brees Hall as your fantasy RB1 ahead of Kenneth Walker? Sure. I mean, with Brees Hall, 
three-star back uh, coming out of high school, recruited by Matt Campbell, uh, self-made man. You know, you, you, you've seen the steps, the linear progression year after year with him. And it just, it, there aren't as many questions. In fact, there really aren't many at all. I mean, he caught 37 receptions this year on 41 targets, seventh most in the country. Check that box all day. Athleticism is incredible. 43940 at almost Ooh. 220. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Amazing. You know, a nine point ninety seven percentile in terms of his athletic score for all the running backs tested since 1987 that have come through the door. Ninth most athletic running back out of 1,519 RBs since 1987. Absolutely off the charts athletically. Hard worker. You hear great things about him. Uh, fourth in missed tackles forced, PFF stat, uh, in the country <laughs> with 74. Incredible. Uh, he can do zone or gap, 175 snaps in zone, 75 in gap, 15, 15 plus uh, yard plays, 22 of them. That's fifth in the country. He's shown the explosiveness. He's shown the ability to dodge tackles. Uh, he's shown power. He's got the size. He's got a, just about everything. I've seen him do it all personally over the course of four years. With Walker, as we discussed, one year. He's got one year of being the bell cow. We still haven't seen him pass block the way he needs to, obviously, as Mr. Renner, uh, the great Mr. Renner, uh, mentioned. And we haven't seen him catch the ball. So uh, we don't have the depth that we do of Reese Hall. We don't have, he doesn't have the size. He doesn't have, you know, there are still things we haven't seen him do. So the fact that, you know, I look at Brees Hall and I see Edger and James, Ooh. I got to go Brees Hall with my number one. Let's I have to. I was watching a bunch of Brees Hall last night. I came away with Antonio Gibson, but he's been playing his whole life actually at running back. So I just thought, you know, he, he does break these tackles, but I don't think he's like the most dynamic guy we've necessarily seen, you know, with the spin and sure. stuff. But hey, the guys, the defenders are bouncing off him. So whatever the hell he's doing, it's working. And to your point, just just no real holes in his game, man. I mean, look at our analysis. Like, yeah, I mean, speed four out of 10. I feel like that should probably even be a little bit higher, but agility burst, power, I respectfully disagree. Hands. Running a four three nine four. Yeah, I, I think this yeah, is I, maybe more based on uh, the film and stuff. So, but yeah, sure. either way, we're crossing that box off too. Uh, great stuff for Brees Hall. Don't at me, <laughs> Anthony Trash. Please don't at me, <laughs> dude. So the my question though, with Kenneth Walker, how would every how would we view him if he didn't go to Michigan State? If he was the same man he is now, every bit is good, but he did one more year at Wake Forest. Like, would he still be in this conversation to be the top back, or are we maybe looking at a situation where, yeah, he got to go get featured with Sparty, you know? But we've seen not the best running backs get featured in programs and maybe drive up their draft stock. Is that what we're looking at, or was he always just pretty damn good at Wake Forest as well? Listen, it's not that he wasn't good at Wake Forest. He was their designated goal line back. He had 13 touchdowns last year in like eight games. You know, so he, he's been powerful. They've depended on him to be that first, second down back with Christian Beal Smith also. Like, they basically split right down the middle, those two. Except for in passing downs, they bring in CBS, Beal Smith. Um, so the, it's simply he wouldn't have the opportunity. There's no way he would be the RB2. This yeah. year, if he stuck at Wake Forest, he'd be like Isaiah Pacheco, who, you know, he ran a 4-3-7, but he played for Rutgers. You know, so he would be like, all right, this kid's got potential. He's fast. You know, he's 215 pounds. He's running that. Uh, he had he was by far the swaggiest running back at the combine. Interviewed him. He had a pair of Gucci glasses. <laughs> he was he was feeling he was looking good. You know, he gets he gets your points. But uh, that's kind of how I'd be viewing him, you know, in that sense is like, all right, this guy tested well. 
he, he, but he went to a program where he wasn't featured. Christian Bill Smith's good, but he transferred to South Carolina. He transferred out of there too, because he probably saw what Kenneth Walker did. And he's like, all right, well, I, I don't want Dave Clawson, their head coach <laughs> who runs the fastest offense or one of them in all of college football, but he rotates guys like he rotates running backs, like, you know, hockey players rotate lines. Okay. So he saw the same thing that Kenneth Walker did, and he wants to do the same thing. So I don't think there's any way that he'd be in this position, even if he tested well athletically, because there wouldn't be the tape. Hey, and it's worked out for him. He is now in this position. So he clearly made the right move, right transferring, had a great year at Michigan State. I do wonder if we can look at the transfer thing and just see that as a little bit of a negative. Because, yes, it worked out with Joe Burrow, but – you know, not every single person is going to be Joe Burrow. And I think we sometimes tend to, you know, just hang our hat on the uh, outlier and then just not really address the concern. I mean, I, I had a, a piece go up on PFF.com, the Haters Guide to this 2022 quarterback class where I just kind of went through each and every oh, prospect. Long, yeah, it must have been a long column. <laughs> exactly. You can always come up with something bad to say. And that's what just makes the whole draft hoopla season, you know, a little bit annoying to me at times. But, you know, with Malik Willis, I was like, hey, he had to transfer out of Auburn. He couldn't beat out Jared Stidham and Bo Nix. He had to go to Liberty. Guess how many quarterbacks Liberty has produced? Exactly zero. So, look. It was tongue-in-cheek exercise. I'm not fully out on Malik Willis for that. But I do think there's something to these guys transferring, Eric. Maybe nowadays the fact that, you know, they're going to, with the NIL and all this going on, they can freely transfer, like, easier than ever before. Maybe that'll change things a little bit. But, man, if you couldn't get it done in your original school, I know it's legal for these, you know, 18, 19-year-olds to get better. It's got to be a little bit concerning in the back of your mind. I mean, a little bit, sure. You know, but, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Some guys, they transfer. I mean, we've seen an absolute avalanche of, of transfer portal guys this year. It's almost ridiculous in terms of trying to keep up with the player movement. It's basically free agency. It's even more because you get 130 teams. So I, I have to – 131. Sorry, James Madison University. They're, they're new. <laughs> uh, but, like, how do you keep up with all this? It's almost amazing. And you have way more losers out of the portal than you do winners. I think that's pretty clear because you got a lot of guys without dance partners right now. You got until May 1st now is the transfer deadline. So last year it was July 1st. You go all the way up to July 1st, then you can transfer. This year they moved it back to May 1st. It's going to be a frenzy for the last half of this month in terms of guys trying to – everybody trying to find partners. Schools, players, it's, it's going to be madness. So I'm really excited about that. But like you're saying, most players do lose out when they go to the transfer portal. But in Kenneth Walker's case, I can't hate on him. Because it worked. Right. It worked. Yeah. And he was right. I mean, he's right. And he wasn't getting that bulk with Dave Clawson. He knew Christian Bill Smith was still going to yeah. be there. I, I can't fault him. That being said, Malik Willis, there are many more reasons for me not to like Malik Willis simply than because he transferred to Liberty's basic offense. You know what I mean? Very fair. Led the league in scrambles. 2020, 2021. Led the league in sacks. 2020, 2021. Each season, every time he rolls out and he wants to roll out, he doesn't reset his feet. Big arm. Great legs. Doesn't run, though? He doesn't run? <laughs> like, you're the fastest. It, it's, it's his core competency is running. And he doesn't do the 40. All red flags. It's wild to me, like, the conversation around Justin Fields this time last year compared to Malik Willis. It's like we were kind yeah. of focusing on the biggest negatives of Justin's game. And then hyping up Hold Willis. Hold on to the ball too long, right? Probably yeah. more so just a factor of this overall quarterback class. But let's let's stick back to the topic. Running backs, I don't know, I was the one that got us off in the first place. But hey, man, Brees hey. Hall, 
over Kenneth Walker. Yes, I'm in on this. I One of the crazier stats I think you threw out there, though, was ninth in athleticism score among 1,500 guys. Like, are we truly, and I hate this word, but Eric, are we looking at a generational running back prospect here? Like, could Brees Hall be Saquon Barkley level good as a rookie when he steps on that field? When you say Saquon Barkley, it's like you were talking about the best athletically, yes. you know, built prospect of the past five years, at least, you know, of, of this era. Uh, I mean, he was, he checked all the boxes. You heard about the weight room exploits at Penn State. <laughs> oh, he was just a monster on the squat rack. You know, all his testing was ridiculous. He was in the 99th, like high 99th percentile, almost Jordan Davis-esque in terms of like the outlier of his athleticism. I don't think it's fair to put, you know, Saquon Barkley level expectations in terms of athleticism on him. He certainly tested excellently. But as PFF did, you know, he's, he's a four on the speed score. It didn't always show up in pads in terms of that at elite level of speed. He's fast, man. I, I don't think it's four, but it's not a 10. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's not lightning in a bottle sort of a thing. I don't think it's, I don't think you can go generational. Like you said, the elite, the, the generational type uh, terms, we love giving them a good workout on the treadmill during draft season. They come out at all the buzz terms that we all use. Um, but yeah, respectfully, I don't think coming out of college, you can say he's generational. I can say he's the number one guy out of this class, and I feel real good about it. Better or um, worse but, than when Jonathan Taylor was coming out? Not as good as Jonathan Taylor. Still not. Jonathan Taylor had, had, I mean, Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin. I know you watched plenty of them. My God, how punishing he was. <laughs> oh, he was, he was awesome. I, I, I was, I'm a Jonathan Taylor. I, I'm respectfully, I mean, yeah, I gotta, I gotta go Jonathan Taylor. Let's go. The RB1, reigning, defending RB1 champion of the world in Fantasyland. We talked about Hall and Walker. Mentioned some Zamir White and James Cook earlier. I feel like, as opposed to wide receiver, which has a pretty firm top five, the three through five spot running back can really go a lot of different directions. After Hall and Walker, how's your top five wrap up in terms yeah, of Yeah, I completely agree with that too. Uh, and, you know, you see, sure, you see the, the, uh, the big boards out there, and there's a lot of variance in that top five. Uh, I'm no different. You know, I have, in terms of my number three, Previously mentioned, Zamir White. I love the DeMarco Murray comp. I think he's right there. Again, the testing. I'm a firm believer. Running backs, great ones. They're born. And then they <laughs> hone those natural skills. 4-4-0, flat 40, coming off two ACLs, even though he's four years off of it. 98th percentile testing. You watch him run. He's powerful. He's, he's stronger than you think. 5'11", 214, but like he keeps his legs churning through contact. Manages to get through that. He gets extra yardage, runs with physicality. You're not going to arm tackle him. He attacks those edges, as I uh, you know, mentioned before, because he knows you're not going to get him there. Uh, but he has the big play speed, and you see him when he gets uh, a nice clear lane through, but blocked by the great Georgia offensive line we saw last year, just punishing. Uh, you give him a clear lane, and he'll hit it hard, and he can he can hit the home run. You know, I, I sincerely believe that. He cr creates bad angles for tacklers. Um you get, he was really good. Like you watch him on the counter plays. He is real good on counters. You know, I, I really enjoy watching him in, uh, in that respect. Quick feed. Um, the committee thing, you know, he, he's two games this year with over 15 carries. Jeez. That's suppressing his value. And I get it, you know, and you have to, there's projection involved in this. 
And I think with, you know, the three through five spots, you're going to have to project some guys because it isn't as sexy, you know, as developed as we've seen in previous years in terms of that, that top 10 or so. Like I felt pretty confident about that top 10 last year. Um, but this year, yeah, I think there's more variance. My number four, uh, Brian Robinson, Alabama, another guy's mm. getting dissed that I, I, I like him. I mean, you get first off, he's an Alabama back. You always got to give him that respect. Two years, he was the backup to Najee Harris. Okay, he was the guy. Nick Saban wasn't letting anybody touch the ball besides Brian Robinson when Najee Harris came out. And Najee Harris was a workhorse. This year, he comes in, again, struggling to find a number two behind Robinson that he could feel confident in. Try Jason McClellan. He got hurt. Roy Dell Williams, again, he went down, got hurt. Trey Sanders, feel-good story. You know, pretty bad injury a couple of years ago. He's coming back from it, but he's not. He's, he's Sorry, the former number one overall running back shine has lost its luster, Yeah, you know, with Trey Sanders. So he had to ha- carry a heavy load this year, and he did. And you see him in the, in the hole. He makes nice jump cuts. He's a one-cut runner. He's not dancing. You can see a little more of that out of Zamir, even though he does have one-cut style too. But he's a downhill, one-cut, solid runner, underrated tackle dodging ability. He's got good feet. He's got good lateral movement. For a guy who's 6'1 and a half and 225 and ran a pretty damn good 4.53. I didn't see him running a 4.53. I took his 4.55 over. Bad call for Oton. I'll learn. <laughs> you know, that's good. Nice slide step. He is ninth. We'll go PFF here. Ninth highest PFF rushing grade. Ooh. Brian Robinson. I mean, hey, look at it. It's right there. Look, man. And also, voice. 35 catches on 38 targets. Like, I don't think Correct. anyone's saying he's going to be the next Christian McCaffrey or anything. But if you can go out there and catch all but three of your targets, man, I hey, maybe the pass block is there. Maybe it's not. It does seem uh, like. He's so- a willing pass block. Like, he's, I, I did, you know, certainly watch him and, uh-huh. and do a little bit. He's willing. He's a willing pass block. He's 225. He has the, he has the mass to yeah. handle it. But, I mean, technique could be better. You see, like, a couple times he's just getting the edges of people, um, you know. But I, I do feel like he's willing. And, again, he could catch the ball. He's, his feet aren't bad. You know, he catches, he resets well, and starts heading upfield. Uh, in terms of his, his burst, his initial burst is better than I think you realize. Uh, 94th percentile in terms of his 10-yard split, in addition to his 4-5-3. It's a big deal for me with a, with a guy that size that you see that he can get ramped up. So uh, I'm a big I fan of Brian Robinson. This, uh... I think he's going to be uh, – I think he can be a three-down back. And he's a guy that I targeted last year in my C2C leagues. Uh, I, I'm excited to have him going in in the Invitational with some of the C2C guys and, uh, and having him in my backfield for years going forward. I actually love the PFF comp that Mike Renner has. Carlos Williams. Carlos with a K. Absolutely fantastic first year with the Bills. You know, had some stuff go on that didn't really prolong the NFL career. But I can see that, man. It does seem like this kind of archetype of running back, you know, the physical grinder. You question a little bit about the pass pro stuff. Maybe, like, you know, I know Kenneth Walker. We've talked enough about him. He's obviously getting his fair due. But Brian Robinson, yeah, not a whole lot of holes. I'm kind of surprised that he hasn't gotten as much hype as your typical Alabama running back because if all you did was draft Alabama's number one running back over the past 10 years you'd be doing you pretty good Scarborough. for yourself yeah oh, okay. you would have got Bo Scarborough let's, one let's time, get though. Bo Scarborough one more chance before we rule him out okay <laughs> fair enough but uh my fifth guy is most people's three uh Isaiah Spiller okay. <clears throat> now in terms of what he does great he's got really good vision he's an instinctive back uh in terms of 
He's for a guy who only ran a four six three, and that was at his pro day. He's got he's willing to dance, and his lateral movement is really good. He's patient. He lets his blocks develop. He's not a home run hitter. The the juxtaposition when you see uh, Devin A Chain, who is his number two running back, who's an Olympic level sprinter, who would sort of uh, you know the the RB two uh, to Isaiah Spiller's RB one, you know the the one two down back. You see the speed when each of them touch the ball after each other, and it's it's I mean it's jarring almost seeing an Olympic level sprinter with Isaiah Spiller. He doesn't have the home run ability. He just doesn't, you know. But that being said, very savvy. Lowers the boom, drags tacklers. He's 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 I mean he's got power. He's six foot two seventeen. He weighed in that. Everybody weighs in the light at the combine, you know, because they want to try to run fast. But you know, you're running it. I think he's 220, 225 is what he was listed as. Probably wound up being at. Um, savvy shows ease in catching the ball too. He didn't, you know, he wasn't the, the number one passing option, but like they'll give it to him on those flares and he does a good job with it. Like I have no problem with him catching the ball, even though he's not going to be, you know, he's not going to be James Cook, but he can do it. Problem with him is, you know, the, the jumping stuff, like the, the broad jump 33rd percentile vert, 30-inch vert for a running back, 14th percentile, to go with a 4.63. <coughs> Sorry about that. That gives me a concern, you know, because that's power and that's speed. I, I like to see a little bit better numbers out of that from my, you know, a power running back. 57th percentile athlete. You know, I just, I feel like White and Robinson are more complete. I would feel more comfortable with them. And if we're getting to get into ADP, this is where it's kind of relevant for everybody who's doing the rookie drafts and the Debbie, uh, you know, and just going forward. But if we're looking at the rookie drafts, and that's kind of what I concentrate on, more of a deep league specialist, maybe the 50-teamer, uh, you know, number one seed in 2019, number four scored points last year, I, the 20-teamer, I, uh, you know, I'm all over the deep leagues. I love them. I love depth because I'm a nerd. So I love the G5 guys. I love doing that. When I look at his ADP, he's going at 1-7. Right now, C.J. Spiller, an average of four, 17. C.J. Spiller. <laughs> C.J. Isaiah that's a throwback. Spiller. That was a great I love it. I mean, C.J. Spiller, that's a different kind Ooh. of running back than Isaiah Spiller. Two totally different dudes. But sorry, Two great dudes. Every time I see Spiller, <laughs> I, I just think Spiller, and I think of the great C.J. <laughs> so, uh, but when you go and you look at where he's going, on average, you know, 1-7. That's high, that's high draft equity when you're talking about a – you know, a wide receiver class that's pretty damn good. That you got, you know, five to to eight guys that you can make a pretty good case to be like, I want this guy. Definitely those top five, six. I think you're you're in great hands with those running backs, those wide receivers. You're giving one of those up for CJ Spiller. Personally, give me Jameson Williams. Give me JMO. I'll take Brian Robinson at three four. He's going third round, fourth pick. Ooh. Done. Give all two rounds after him. I'm sold. Zamir White is going the second round, ninth pick. You can wait on those guys. Another guy who I know Renner likes as well, and you know for good reason, Damian Pierce, who's my RB6. He goes right after Spiller. He's at 308. You're, you're not going to get the draft value on Isaiah Spiller that you're going to get on those three guys that I have at 3, 4, and 6. It's just that simple. So uh, that's why I just simply I, I feel like he's a hard fade for me in all my, my draft leagues. Redraft, obviously, is going to go a little bit lower, but um, with the draft equity really matters is in those rookie leagues, and, and I'm, uh, I'm fading them. 
We'll again, we'll see how these guys kind of land on the depth charts, but I'm with you right now. I'm put, taking these wide receivers ahead of everyone. <sighs> Maybe even Walker, man. I'm, I'm okay. I think Walker's probably going to have, you know, if he if he gets picked in the second round to warn ahead of those big 5, but particularly at a minimum after Walker, man, I'm taking those big 5 receivers next. Well, with Walker, it's an interesting case, too, when it comes to ADP, because I did a little bit of looking up on him, because, you know, Ian, I know we're going to have some talk about ADP. <laughs> so, uh, and there were 17 drafts that we've done to this point that we've had, you know, data through the industry guys. First nine drafts, okay, Kenneth Walker never went above, excuse me, below six. So it was six. Okay. Most of them were seventh. The highest was 10. All right. So, like, his absolute the highest, highest, highest he was going his first nine drafts, sixth. For the seven of the next eight drafts that have taken place, he went fifth or lower with a high of three. And the only time he didn't go five, I think he went seven. You know, so that is we've seen a real increase without even having the draft capital attached, without knowing what his role is going to be, without knowing what team he's going to be on. We've seen a significant increase, Kenneth kind of Walker, uh, just in the past few weeks. So he's, you know, he's an arrow up too. You're going to have to give up some serious talent at wide receiver to go after him. So that's just something to factor in because you're not going to get him cheap. You're not going to get him in the bottom half of the first round anymore. Eric's top five running backs, Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, Zamir White, Brian Robinson, and Isaiah Spiller. Great day to have a great running back list. I want to talk about James Cook here and there's a couple more things before we get out of here. Everything we said about James Cook is great. The receiving ability, obviously Dalvin Cook's younger brother, Maybe the next great NFL running back out of Georgia, man. Like, what is it that we're not seeing here with James Cook? Is it literally just the fact that he weighed in at, I believe, 199 pounds? I mean, I don't want to say, like, how would we view him differently if he was 215? Because he's not 215. He'd be a different player if he was, and it's not really a fair comparison. But, man, like, could at a minimum, could James Cook be someone that NFL teams are a lot higher on than maybe we are right now? Because it seems like, in terms of that pedigree, having, you know, the NFL bloodline, stuff like that, it seems like it would make sense to me if NFL teams prioritize that a little bit more than us fantasy analysts mostly, you know, just watching our YouTube highlights and this and that. Certainly, we see a lot of the analysts that do have him high. And again, that's a, a product of the variance of this running back class, where there's not a lot of consensus, you know, especially after that top two. It's top two, and then it's, you know, really, it's it's kind of a free-for-all. I think even Dane Brugler came out, he had him RB5. Okay. So, listen, this is well-respected guys in the industry that, that I know that I've looked around and seen that have a lot of respect for him. Now, with me, what, what's interesting with him is, obviously, he just he's not used between the tackles much, because why would you? It's all about getting him in space. You get him in space and, and watch the fun begin. You know, he, his, uh, he's, he gets up to full speed. You know, he ramps up quick. And then you watch him cut at full speed, and it's on a dime. You know, he, you watch people fly past him uh, on tape. You know, what's really interesting to me is, you know, obviously super successful. Every time he touches the ball, six and a half yards per carry every single year. All four years he was in college. He had five games this year where he had zero targets. Hmm. Interesting. You know, I was like, wow, geez, what, why is that? You just go and you look at him. UAB, South Carolina, Vandy, Mizzou, Charleston Southern, he had one target, and then Georgia Tech. So, like, you look at the bottom half of that schedule, their offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, is holding it back. You know, he's pulling, he's pulling out just enough to win Milton Berle style. Um, I don't know if you were familiar with that reference, but some people missed it. Get o- over it. the head. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. Milton Berle, obviously, you know, a youngster for all the kids, they know him. But, Regardless, uh, he flexed them, but when they needed him, you know, when they're in competitive games, Munkin likes to flex them out in the slot. 
And then obviously, as we talked about out wide, where he's they, they he's dangerous outside, full on danger. But then you look at 2020. 16 of 19 targets in just eight games to 223 yards. This year, a lot less, 17 of 19 targets. So it, with the new offensive coordinator coming in, he wasn't used the same volume, you know, out there. They really held him back for special moments. So that kind of inhibits his tape where you don't have the kind of breadth you'd like to see. Obviously, we was talking about Brian Robinson. You know, you have 39 targets, whatever it is, 37. Brees Hall, again, 41 targets. So you, you have a lot more to go off of some of these guys. Obviously what we see out of James Cook is, is flawless. I mean, it's excellent. He's about as good as you could ask for from a split out wide back. And they get him, they get him touches in all different ways. Jet motion all over the place. Tosses. Love getting him tosses. The wheel routes deadly. He's a problem on wheel routes. So just that overall versatility, I think it can be a real factor. You know, if you just get a, a Latavius Murray, just a, a real brute kind of a guy as your one, and you want to just go and just slide James Cook in there behind him as a two, you know, I think he could get some serious reps. And then obviously in PPR scoring, it could be a factor. You know, maybe maybe like in terms of like an impact, I mean, he's kind of reminds – he could be in the Michael Carter sort of a realm hmm. for New York last year where, okay. he, uh, you know, had a few weeks where he ramped up a little bit. And once he caught on, you know, he started giving a little more responsibility, even though he's on the smaller side. You know what I mean? Uh, he was good. He was productive. And now when they'll get another weapon, everyone's talking about the Jets getting a wide receiver. I, I think they probably will at 10. I think I, I like Drake London at 10. And his over his over under is 10 and a half. So I kind of like under on that. PFF, but, um, um, yeah, real quick. PFF comp for James Cook is Naeem Hines, which I think matches a lot of, uh, you know, the stuff you've been saying. I just want to find out if the NFL teams like purely view James Cook as the scat back that is only going to be a number two, but like in Heinz's case and, you know, JD McKissick and some of these guys, they're multiple injuries away from actually getting that three down roll. So I want to find out if James yeah. Cook is like that, or if he's maybe, you know, a Kareem Hunt, Alvin Kamara, we're like, yeah, you are going to lean on him more as a pass catcher, but if you don't have that bruiser, we'll give you 15 carries a game. Uh, anyway, you know, haven't seen the 15 carries mark, but you know what? We weren't seeing it uh, much yeah, as Amir yeah. White either. That's true as well. Yeah, we saw twice this year with Zero Mary White. Uh, the high this year was 12, I believe, for James Cook, and he only saw 10 in two other games. So, but he's, that's not what he, he's, you can't measure him by carries. You know, that's not what he, he's, his core competency is going to be. You're always going to need a pounder with him, but I think it's possible. I think he could be that guy. Um, but, you know, what's the investment you want from him? You know, what, what do you have to put in in order to acquire James Cook? That's really the important thing is, you know, everybody's everybody's possible. You know, everybody's an option. But you're right now in the current drafts, he's going at 3-2. So third round, second pick. Um, that's after most of the big wide receivers here. Like the, the wide receivers are going after 3-2. You're looking at, <coughs> excuse me, Alec Pierce, Jalen Tolbert, Khalil Shakir, so we're not talking about elite guys. I do think Alec Pierce, I do probably like him more than most people. Um, but you're not talking about anybody that you're really going to be missing out on to take James Cook in front of them, at least at this point, when it comes to the you know third round, second pick. All right, I'll take him in the third round of a rookie league. Sure. 
trying to think of where like a great spot for him would be. The Giants potentially they could use a nice compliment to Saquon still at this point. If the Cardinals are looking for a legit it's replacement certain. of Chase Edmonds, I think that would make a lot of sense. Get James Cook there. Also potentially uh, the Rams maybe. Uh, Sean McVay loves his day two running backs. I wouldn't put it past him to add a third guy. Yes, he does. Cam Akers. Yeah. And and Darrell Henderson, of course. That's right. I mean, we actually saw Henderson. Uh, I think he had three catches in the Super Bowl. I was kind of surprised the way uh, they used That one real nice one down the sideline. He looked good enough doing it, but if you really wanted someone that knows how to do it, go get you some James Cook. So we'll see. I do think he could surprise folks in year one, but he's going to need that full-time passing role. As we've seen, you know, the last 10 years, historically, one target in terms of expected fantasy points is equal to about 2.7 carries. So we don't need 15 carries if we can get five to seven targets. Let's hope he lands somewhere where that can become a reality. Eric, great stuff. I kind of, you know, I, I barely, I should have just mentioned this uh, in your intro and said nothing more, but you were on Elijah Mitchell last year. Not in August, not in September, not even in May, man. March, before the draft even happened, you pegged Elijah Mitchell as the most undervalued running back we should be looking at in fantasy land. Are you ready to go with this year's Elijah Mitchell or do you at least have a couple guys that, again, are projected as going way down the list, at least in terms of what these other mock drafts are saying, but you see something there that could be some fancy excellence if he's right? Yeah, sure. And I'll try to, I'll try to go down, down, down the board. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's, you know, nobody wants to hear Damian Pierce. We've already, <laughs> Mike Renner's already waxed poetic about him, you know, plenty of times. Uh, a guy that I like, and it's not a, a G5 guy. I will pick a G5 guy that I like as well, but this is, a power five guy that uh, in terms of what I'm seeing in ADP, I looked all over the ADP. I can't even find him on the ADP board. <laughs> I even see him here. I, I Maybe he's on there, but I, I haven't seen him. Uh, Tyrion Davis Price for LSU, <laughs> a.k.a. the imp for you Game of Thrones fans, of course, Lord Tyrion. Um, in terms of TDP, had some huge games. I mean, had some real big ones. The game against Florida in particular – where he set the LSU all-time rushing record, I think it's 283 yards, was simply amazing. And Ed Ingram, uh, one of their guards for LSU, deserves a lot of credit for that. He was a mauler in that game. I, I like Ingram, and I think he's a good third-round pick. Um, but in terms of TDP, one of the things we talked about a few times already, you know, sort of organically in this podcast, is pass blocking. Mr. Tyrion Davis-Price, number one pass block grade in the nation. Ooh. Okay. That, that's going to keep him on the field. A little underrated, but, you know, obviously it's not sexy for our purposes for uh, fantasy football, but look, at that's going to keep him on the field. And he has three-down potential way down the board we're talking about. He ran a 4-4-8 at the Combine, which is, I mean, I didn't see that coming. He was billed at 232 his entire college career. Damn. Billed at 232, weighs in at 211 at the Combine, weighs in at 219 in his pro day. So, you know. I think probably 220 is probably where he'll end up playing at or so. You know, they probably beefed him up a little too much in the 232. But he's a, he's a Baton Rouge kid, born and bred, LSU. Um, he will – good feet. Not great. You know, like he, he's not a – you know, he's not Brees Hall. You know, he, he's not Kenneth Walker in terms of like the amazing athleticism. Feet's good. I like how he utilizes his pace steps in order to let blocks develop. Like he does a good job of that. He's patient, tiptoe, and then he goes. You know, pretty good. Good development. Good vision. Let's his blocks develop. Barely saw the ball in the first five games. 35 carries. Barely, right? LSU. 
Averaged 25 carries a game over his last seven. 123 yards per game, 27 t- missed tackles force. Pretty good considering his size. Um, you watch how he goes. He's agile, certainly for a guy like that. Strong finisher, not afraid to lower the boom. He's got power. Uh, and I like his one-cut style. He, in similar to, to Robinson almost in that he's – you know, he gets up to his speed, and then he casually – it's a nice casual cut that he can make. It's smooth. Um, but he's not, you know, he's not a tackle dodger per se, but he can get himself free when you don't think he can. Like, he does a good job with that. Um, and then, you know, just, again, he ripped off 30 10-plus yards. That's one – that's like top 20 in the nation or so. This is from a guy who just isn't getting any love. You know, he's not even being drafted on any of the top five rounds. We had 11 six. in one game against Florida. That is absolutely The Florida game was, was just a masterpiece. The whole thing was, was – it, it was beautiful. I watched it as it happened. I was covering that game. I was charting it for NBC. And, uh, my gosh, it, it, was, it was a thing of beauty. But then it wasn't just that. That's the thing. You know, he kept going down the stretch. He had, like, the last seven games. He didn't get – he wasn't doing much in the first five. John Emery goes down, and then he becomes the lead guy, and he starts opening eyes, clears the 1,000-yard threshold, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I really like, in terms of Tyrion Davis-Price, he's a top-10 running back for me. I think he's right there with, like, Rashad White, who's getting a lot more pub because, you know, 463 yards receiving. Of course you're going to do that. You know, he's got 15 touchdowns. I had him in the 50-teamer, so, I mean, I'm a Rashad White guy too. But um, when I'm looking at, like – Guys who just aren't even being considered. I don't even being thought about. Tyrion Davis Price is right there for me. And if I have to go with a G5 guy, I know a lot of people like Pierre Strong. I'm not quite as big on Pierre Strong as I am on this guy. I like Devontae Price. So I got I guess the price is right. Price here right. with Froton <laughs> on the PFF show. Um, but I like I like Devontae Price too. Uh, I mean, the kid tested great. Did it real well. Uh, he's athletic. He's quick. He's really fast. I mean, he he was sub four four. I think four three eight ninety eighth percentile in terms of he's six one two ten and he's hitting the ninety eighth percentile with a four three eight forty time. Okay, I like that athleticism. Seventy eighth percentile athlete. Look, he went to Florida in international, one of the worst programs in all of FBS. Terrible. So he didn't have a line. He had Max Bortenschlager at quarterback. Have fun. I mean, they throw the ball downfield. Don't get me wrong. Tyrese Chambers is a damn good wide receiver. You might be hearing about him. But, you know, he's at a terrible team, and he's making his own bones with everything he's doing. Uh, 1.52 on the 10-yard split. Excellent acceleration. 95th percentile, 210 pounds. You know, he won the 110 hurdles in high school, so he has legit track speed. Uh, Good eyes, too. Like, he he can ferret out the holes because there weren't many of them for him to work with. He was getting pounded. Um, but you know, if you try to arm tackle him, you hit him on a bad angle, he's going to power through it and he can lower his shoulder because he's got some size. And when you got that momentum, you got the speed when he's ramping up, he can do it. Now he does run high, you know, he's, he, as any guy who's six, one, you got to lower, you could use the lowers pad level. Um, there's questions about his durability because he took a licking. It's not they're getting smacked on a game by game basis on a bad team. So, you know, he missed some games this season. But uh, in my opinion, despite those factors, there's projection involved, obviously. Uh, I'd like to see what happens when he gets into a, you know, a NFL weight room. You know, he's in good shape. He looks great. He's rocked up. But I'd like to see what kind of coaching, when he gets behind a real NFL line, that sort of thing. So 
Um, he's way down the board as well in terms of where he's getting taken. Let me see here. <laughs> he's way down. That's what we're looking for, so, though, is these yeah. running backs that have the size and ability to, if one of these NFL franchises decides to give them this workload, they can actually handle it and do something with it. So Tyrion, Davis yeah. Price, and Devontae Price. Price is right, Eric. Why the hell not? Price, Price is right, baby. Price is right. Devontae Price, excuse me, he's a UDFA. He's not getting drafted. Okay. Well, you know, you say that now. We'll see uh, what happens here. I mean, a UDFA in fantasy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Eric, fantastic stuff. I feel like, you know, myself and the listeners now have a much better knowledge base of this running back class. Again, it'll get, you know, turned on its head, flipped on its head, if you will, as soon as these guys land on certain squads. But, you know, at least having a good level, good base level of knowledge, I think going in uh, can do a wonder in Fantasyland. Again, everyone can find you on Twitter at CF. F Roton, you, you, you're messing me up. Like I feel like there should be an extra F there, but um, sure. you know, it's all good. At CFF Roton, of course, all your stuff is over at NBC Edge. You and Thor do fantastic stuff, really hammering home the college football community. And my God, man, like you know, I, again, I, we, we had some fun Saturday nights. And you know, if you if, yeah. if you're a, if you're a uh, NFL fantasy analyst out there, and you think that you know a 17 week season or 18 week, excuse me, 18 week season with uh, you know 16 games going on per week is a lot. Try college football fantasy. My God, man. It is a grind, but you do a great job. Bell to bell action every (laughs) single Saturday. You're doing like literally soup to nuts. You're not done until Hawaii's (laughs) done at 3 a.m. or so Eastern. Ah, absolute madness. Give me a shot, everybody. Anything else you want to do? Join the CGC League. They're doing great things, you, you pro guys. Don't be afraid. There's plenty of resources. There's more and more guys coming out. That are, that are really good college fantasy analysts that can help you with those C2C leagues so you can get into this. And you can have your Saturdays be just as good as your Sundays. And trust me, from my perspective, I've been doing it 22 years. My first ever pick was the great, iconic Luke Staley. <laughs> There's nothing like a college fantasy Saturday. Trust me on that. Again, check out Eric at CFF Roton, NBC Sports Edge. Thank you for coming on, Eric. And thank you for t- tuning in to another edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Have a great weekend, everyone. USFL season. Don't forget that kickoff Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. And then we got a triple header on Sunday. I'm going to be barking all along. I think um, I'm going to do... You just can't wait uh, to see Mike Weber again. Be honest. You, no, you want, bro. You want your Mike Weber time. No, he got, uh, he got demoted to practice oh, squad. Oh, man. Dude, like, there's, there was, like, five players in this league that people, like, kind of knew. We had Eli Rogers and Devontae Smith, uh, Devion Smith as well, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, Devontae Smith playing in. Uh, Dude, Jordan Tiamu, come on. St. Louis Battle. We got we Tiamu got still chilling there, and, you know, I did see a comp. My bad. I'm pronoun- you all know how bad I am at pronunciation. You got to cut me a little bit of slack with the USFL. Tiamu is one, and I should be better at those. So, hand up. That one uh, was on me, but I'm just excited for some good old-fashioned football but yeah i think in the future weeks like you guys don't need to hear me bark i'm not not planning on doing a 90 minute monday usfl pods every week what i might try to do is you know like a quick 10 minute uh review of everything that happened and then Dwayne mcfarland will be back on thursdays for us to preview the upcoming slate dfs gambling all that and much more so thank you eric great college stuff he puts out great uh nfl draft like stuff with wide receivers i really like some of the stuff he put out uh in the preseason too definitely like some of that Gangster McFarlane, as we like to call him here. For Eric, I'm Ian. <laughs> Thanks as always to your PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.